Well, good morning. Uh, if you missed the announcements, um, my name is Mark. I'm the pastor here. Um, thanks again for joining us today. Um, I, I haven't had the opportunity um, to meet all of you yet. I know that, that we've got a lot, of, a lot of faces that I haven't met yet. And so um, I just want to say that if you haven't met me yet, please come up afterwards, after service, and introduce yourself to me because I'd love to get to know you um, and, and just be able to connect with you and, and see how we can pray for you, maybe get you connected um, if that's what you're looking for. But please come introduce yourselves to me um, because I'd really love to get to know everybody here. Uh, so we've been going through the book of Mark uh, for, for a number of weeks, actually since the beginning of the year, um, taking our time because we keep telling you week after week this is a fast-moving gospel, okay? Today, we're finally starting chapter 5, okay? So if you have your Bible and you want to turn and, and follow, follow with me um, to the book of Mark, it's, it's the second book in the New Testament, directly after Matthew, um, so turn there. Last week... Pastor Jody gave an awesome message on the end of chapter 4 uh, where the disciples are caught in this storm as they're traveling by boat across the sea. Um, you know, Jesus is asleep in the stern, actually, as this is going on, and the disciples, they're, they're panicking, okay? And they wake him, and he calms the storm. Um, and uh, the, lesson, the lesson was really in how we should react to fear, Okay? The world, um, you know, teaches different ways, and, and our flesh just has these automatic reactions to fear that we, we talked about. There's the, the fight or flight or freeze, okay? But as Christians, we have another option. We can react with faith, and that was the message last week. So if you missed that, go on to Pursue God, uh, find last week's lesson and check that out because it was a great message. Um, today, we're going to be starting chapter 5, like I said, and we're going to be reading about one of the stranger miracles that Jesus performed, okay? And the story is going to be told in verses 1 through 20. So what I'd like to do is I'm going I'm to read through the passage, verses 1 to 20, and then we're just going to kind of break it down and discuss it, because there's a lot going on here. So, starting in verse 1. So they arrived at the other side of the lake, in the region of the Gerasenes, when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be, res be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of the man you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission 
the evil, the evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, but Jesus said, No, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed at what he told them. So like I said, this is, this is one of the stranger stories that we read here in the Gospels. Now, first off, for those of you who are unaware that there is spiritual warfare not only during this time but, but continues today, I'd encourage you to check out our, our, our spiritual warfare series. We did this a while back, um, and it's on PursueGod.org. I would encourage you to go check it out. We spent, I think it was five or six weeks, talking about spiritual warfare um, and, and what that entails. Because Satan is real, and demons are real. And we, here, we see, here we see Jesus perform a miracle, healing this demon-possessed man, this man that couldn't be helped by anybody else. And, and it's really interesting here that we see two very different reactions to what Jesus does. The healed man, as we see, he wants to follow Jesus. He wants, he's ready to dedicate his life to Jesus. That's his reaction. But what's the reaction of the townspeople? The nearby, the nearby townspeople, they have this totally opposite reaction. What do they do? They want Jesus to just go away. They ask him to go away. This whole ordeal is just too much for them. They want nothing to do with it. Never mind that this man who has suffered so much for so long has finally been healed. They don't, they, don't, they don't see that. They don't pay attention to that. They just want to go back to their normal lives. They're okay with him living the way that he was living. See, Jesus, he had, he had crossed this line, this comfort line for them. It was too frightening for them. Or maybe it was just too crazy. Um, but I want you to ask yourself today, is there a line that you won't let Jesus cross. See, to be honest, we all have areas in our lives, we have these lines drawn that we won't let Jesus cross into. Every one of us. I know when I first began to, began to come to faith, um, I had plenty of, they, they were really obvious lines that I didn't want Jesus crossing. Um, parts of my life that I wasn't really willing to give over. Um, I didn't want to, I didn't want to stop party on the week, partying on the weekends like I was doing. Um, I didn't want to watch the words that are coming out of my mouth. I had a, I had a dirty mouth, right? I didn't want to watch that. Um, I didn't want to share my faith with my coworkers or friends. I didn't want them to look at me as this crazy cuckoo Christian, okay? 
So I had those, those really obvious lines. And as, I, as my faith built and I recognized those and I, and I started to surrender those, let Jesus cross those lines, the, there weren't, it wasn't, I started to become aware of more lines that I wasn't letting him cross. The less obvious ones. I needed to let go of those things um, and, and I became aware of, of more and more places that I wasn't letting him into. Things like, like being a spiritual leader in my home, leading my wife and, and kids, or discipling other people like Jesus has called us all to do. Those were lines that I wasn't willing to let him cross for a long time either. Like I said, we all, we all have these lines that we, we don't let Jesus cross. Some of them are more apparent than others. So really ask yourself, where, where are the lines that I'm not letting Jesus cross in my life? Maybe it's the movies you watch or the music you listen to that, that really isn't God-honoring, that really isn't leading you in the right direction. Maybe it's some bad habit that you have that you really don't want to let go of. Maybe even it's, maybe it's unforgiveness towards another person. You don't want to, let, want to let go of that bitterness that you've got. You feel like you, you, they, don't, they don't deserve your forgiveness, and you're holding on to that. Maybe that's a line that you're not letting Jesus cross. But we all struggle to let Jesus be the Lord of our lives in one way or another. But the less we allow him to be Lord, and the more that we want to be Lord of our own lives, the more we miss out on what Jesus is doing, what he's doing in the world around us. And the more we miss out on what he can do through us. See, the townspeople in this story, they completely missed out on celebrating something amazing. The, a, a man freed from enslavement. Let's go back and review at the beginning. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. Jesus climbs out of the boat. Man possessed by an evil spirit came out to meet him. And this man lived in the burial caves. He lives in the burial caves. He isn't existing as a living man. He's living among the dead. He's living like a man already dead. Not only that, but according to Jewish law, he was actually, uh, being among dead, decaying bodies made you unclean. So he's this hopeless, lost, unclean, basically a dead man walking. But this man is really an image of every one of us before we accepted Jesus. See, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. The possessed man's story, it really illustrates our story, the struggle within, the battle between our good intentions and the legion of demons that want to keep us in bondage to death. See, we were all once dead, obedient to the devil, it says. Now, maybe that sounds harsh, but that's what the Word of God teaches. 
It teaches us that there is no middle ground when it comes to God. Either we have accepted Jesus and are living a new life through the power of the Holy Spirit, or we are continuing to serve the devil's schemes. See, the enemy, the enemy had a complete stranglehold on this man, like we do if we don't accept Jesus. Let's go back and read on in verses 4 and 5. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Sounds awful, doesn't it? See, this is one of the devil's most successful tactics, though. Isolation. It's where he can inflict the most damage. When there's no one else around to counter the deceptions and the lies being whispered in the lonely person's ears. Things like you're, you're worthless or useless or you're beyond saving, you're too far gone. These are the, the types of lies that the enemy will whisper in a person's ear. This is why it's so crucial for the believer to be connected to the, the body of believers, to be connected you know, in fellowship with others. Because in isolation, that is where the devil runs rampant. See, on our, on our own, we believe these lies and we internalize them. This possessed man has believed them all. He's lost all, all control to the enemy. He's taken, the enemy's taken everything away from him. His, his home, family, friends, his health. And most likely, eventually, his life. See, the devil is powerful. There's, there's no doubting that. And his greatest tool is deceit. But his power, we also need to understand, is limited. His power is limited. The enemy can only claim ground that's given over to him. Ground that is given when we agree with the lies that he tells us. Listening and agreeing with the lies of the enemy, it gives him these footholds in our lives that eventually lead to strongholds. But while we see in this story, this guy has some severe strongholds that the enemy is, has in his life, what we do know is that there is no stronghold too great for Jesus to break down. Let's read on. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Well, look at this. The man and the evil spirit. Here we see the battle that's raging. The man runs to Jesus and bows before him. While the evil spirit is tormented, the man is there to worship Jesus. The evil spirit is freaking out. Even demons recognize the authority of Jesus. More so a lot of times than humans do. As we actually see in this story, they recognize the one who created them. In Colossians uh, chapter 1, verses 15 to 16, 
It says this about Jesus, that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. See, the demons know who Jesus is. And they know his absolute authority. See, what we, what we do know about demons is that they were once angels. They existed in the hem, heavenly realm with God. But they rebelled against him with Satan. And this just goes to, share, to, to show something that we share all the time at Alpine Church. That it isn't enough just to have the right information about Jesus. See, James 2.19 says, You believe that God has won. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. It isn't enough simply to have the right information. We must also have the right attitude. See, there are people today in this world, they have doctorates in biblical studies. They, uh, they're not, but they, they have more knowledge than, than mo- any of us here probably, and yet they are not saved. They have all the information anyone could possibly have, and yet they have the wrong attitude. They don't have a saving relationship with Jesus, no matter how much information they have. See, in order to truly know Jesus, we need to have the right information and the right attitude. The evil spirits have the right information, and they are, fear- they are fearful because of it. But that's as far as it goes for them. Let's move on to verse 9. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. See, there isn't just one evil spirit. There are many inside this man. A legion was the the largest unit of the Roman army, consisting of thousands of, of, of soldiers. So obviously, this man had a large number of many, many, many demons possessing him. Now, while this, this is an extreme situation of spiritual warfare, we, we all need to be aware um, that we are never battling against just one enemy ourselves, even. See, the war wages against us on three fronts. The devil, the world, and the flesh. So we can all relate to this battle going on, especially against the flesh. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7, verses 18 and 23. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. See, we may not be possessed by thousands of demons, but we all have a sin nature that we continue to live with, even after giving our lives to Christ. Paul wrote this passage in, in Romans, the man who, who wrote more books of the New Testament than anyone else. 
Can you relate to his struggle, though? The internal battle goes on inside each one of us. But it doesn't end there. Paul goes on to say, oh, what a miserable person I am, which is what you would think, right? Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is the only one who can free us from our slavery to sin. Before being saved, we, we only had one nature, our sin nature. We were enslaved by it. But Jesus, he can give us a new nature. If you put your faith in him, this new power takes up residence within you, the power of the Holy Spirit. And now we can operate out of that new nature. We're no longer slaves to sin. We have another option now. See, Jesus' power is unmatched. He has all authority over the enemy, as we read on in this story. Going on in verse 11, there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs. And, to, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. Notice Jesus gave them permission. He has all authority over Satan, demons, angels, humans, everything in heaven and on earth. And he demonstrated his authority over the natural world Last week was we were reading in the end of chapter 4 when he calms the storm. He's demonstrating his authority over the natural world. Here now we see him demonstrating his authority over the supernatural world. That may be exactly what Jesus' purpose was in giving the demons permission to enter the pigs. Showing his power and his dominion. And we see these demons fulfill their purpose in the pigs. Their goal of destruction and death, because that is the objective of Satan and his demons to steal, to steal, kill, steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give us life to the full. In Ephesians 2 4 to 6, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. See, we are all dead in our sins without the work that Jesus did on the cross. We are all this man in this story living among the dead, destroying himself, being tortured by lies and deceit. Jesus came to change all that. He came to change everything. He came to rescue us from the death and the, and the destruction that we were all doomed for, much like this man. And the transformation from death to life that Jesus brings, we see that in the contrast uh, after what Jesus does in this man, in this story. We see a clear contrast. If we read on into 14, it says... The herdsmen fled to the nearby town, the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. 
A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed, perfectly sane. And they were all afraid. The demon-possessed man is given new life. Turned aside from that path of death and destruction that was imminent. And everyone there can now see this transformation. The transformation that Jesus can bring. But like I said, there's these two different responses, two different reactions. The herdsmen, they fled. And the crowd, they see the man, fully clothed, in his sane mind, and they were all afraid. See, rather than celebrate the miracle that had been witnessed, these people, they're reacting with fear. Much like we learned about last week, with fear. And a man, a man he's, he's been delivered from an absolutely hellish experience. And many of these people would rather have not seen it. They'd rather he continue living that way. It's, that's too much for them. It's just, this is too crazy. Because, you know, I talked about, we learned last week that there's, there's a few different ways that we react to fear. Fight, flight, freeze. But the last one we should turn to, faith. But these people reacted with, with fear. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. <laughs> they asked him to go away. See, we all have two different options when we encounter Jesus in our own lives. Accept him or reject him. His power and authority, what it costs to follow him, those can bring a certain level of fear. There are many people in our world who continue to reject God's free gift of grace. They, like the townspeople in this story, ask him to leave. They want nothing to do with him. They want to be the Lord of their own lives. There are lines they're just not willing to allow Jesus to cross. So ask yourself again, is there a line that you won't let Jesus cross? Now let's contrast the townspeople's reaction with the man who was delivered, who was given this new life. Finishing up, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. This man wants to follow Jesus. He wants to dedicate his life to him. He's been rescued and he wants nothing more than to just enjoy the presence of his Savior. But Jesus has a mission for him. The same mission that he has for each one of us. Everyone who has accepted him as our Savior. And that's to share the good news. I know many of you feel like that's just too intimidating of a task. To share the gospel with people. You feel like you aren't knowledgeable enough. Um, that you aren't qualified 
But how knowledgeable do you think this man was? Probably not very. He wasn't a scholar or a religious teacher. He was no expert. Jesus wanted him to go and share his story of what Jesus had done for him. And that's what he calls for each one of us to do. My wife, Sheree, says this all the time. Share your story for his glory. If we do that, God does the rest. Will you guys pray with me? Lord, we are so grateful to to read these miracles that you perform um, in the Gospels. Lord, it's amazing um, what you do, your, your love for people. But Lord, sometimes I think that we minimize the miracles that you continue, continue to perform today, the lives that you change each and every day. Lord, I know you've done that in my life. I know there are many people here that you have transformed their lives as well. You have given them everlasting life, given them purpose. Lord, I pray that we would not diminish that, that we would recognize that you perform miracles today just like you did when you walked here in your ministry. Lord, I I just pray that we would recognize the areas of our lives that we are not allowing you to be Lord those lines that we are not allowing you to cross. Because those are the areas that we are just held back from truly serving you and truly enjoying you. Lord, the enemy would have us stay stuck in those places. But I pray for deliverance. I pray that we would not believe the lies of the enemy. That we would beat back those lies with truth the truth that you've given us in your word to know that, Lord, we are, you say we are worthy because of what you've done for us, that you love us that much. Lord, I pray as we, as we leave from here today that we would be inspired to share our own story. Those of us who have been saved, that we would not be intimidated away from sharing the gospel with others, but that we would recognize that sharing what you have done in our lives is sharing and spreading the good news. Lord, give us that confidence to do that. Uh, Give us the, the desire to do that as well. Lord, we love you and thank you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.